0: Hello and
1: welcome to this week's Thursday Top 5. I'm Paige. I'm Anna. We have received so many messages about our temporary house guest. Okay not gonna lie I almost just forgot my name. (laughs) (laughs) There was a strange
0: pause. Um, Oh yes we've gotten so many messages about the cat. We also got some um, we got one email. It was addressed to me so if it was you who emailed us. Like, please let me know. I, you didn't sign your email. So now I don't know who you are. And I've been meaning to reply, but haven't gone into it because I just don't know who you are. So just like, I don't know, maybe shoot us another email and I'll get back to you.
1: Yeah. We love feedback. Yeah.
0: So we actually do love feedback and we had such positive reviews on the last episode because apparently people like it when we laugh. <laughs> Um, Except for our editor, Marcus, so we apologize. We apologize in advance. But yeah, I'm not as giggly today for some reason.
1: I think you've had a long day.
0: I think I've had a long day. (laughs) I think we're ready to dive into our stories, though.
1: Yes. Our update of the week comes to us from the art newspaper, which announced that, quote, experiential art space Super Blue finally opens in Miami. So, having been delayed from December, there were actually a lot of delays and there was like a lot of hype about it. People yes. were complaining in one of my classes. Oh,
0: really? That's kind because of Because they were planning
1: to, similar
0: to, what to, happened us, to us, where we
1: were planning on going.
0: Yeah. But the inaugural program, Titled Every Wall is a Door features the debut of a new immersive environment by S. Devlin, a digital experience by TeamLab, an enveloping light-based Gansfeld work by James Terrell, and a kinetic installation Meadow by
1: Amsterdam-based artist Studio Drift. To give some background, SuperBlue began as Pace X in 2019, a collaborative project between Dan Brockleshurst and Pace Gallery's president and chief executive, Mark Glimcher, to present works that fuse the production of art and technology.
0: And the SuperBlue complex, housed in a 50,000 square foot formerly unused industrial building, has 30,000 square foot of malleable installation space.
1: And we're definitely hoping to go on our next visit to Miami. Yes. I also
0: just realized it opened on my parents' anniversary, so like shout out to that. That's cute. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) They should go too. Mm -hmm. And I think we're ready to dive into this week's news. Our first headline of the day comes from Artnet News, where it was reported that, quote, police have discovered a man's body inside a papier-mâché dinosaur sculpture in Spain. So last Saturday, a man and his son in the Barcelona suburb spied something strange inside an old papier-mâché dinosaur statue that was originally created to promote a now-closed movie theater. So through a crack in the creature's leg, they saw what looked to be the body (laughs) of a middle-aged man. I'm
0: sorry, I don't mean to laugh. That's just like so creepy. It's so Uh, disturbing. (laughs) But it actually turned out that their suspicions were right and police have seen determined that the body of a 39-year-old who was reporting missing just hours earlier is inside of the dinosaur.
1: Although they are still waiting to hear back from the autopsy results, police suspect that the man was inside of the dinosaur for a couple of days. And perhaps the craziest part about this story is that authorities believe the man was trying to retrieve his cell phone,
0: which was inside which was inside the statue, and then he entered headfirst and got trapped. Oh, this is so messy. Oh. <laughs> I just have so many questions. Me too. I, I like, okay, so there were some pictures in the article, but like nothing really explains how this happened. No, also. it's just a picture of this statue. <laughs> I don't Also, like, how does this happen? Like, I don't understand. Well, like, did like, no one see no, him no, go in? Imagine being like the guy in the sun who were like going to the movie theater and then you like see a a hey man and then it turns out you just solved like a murder mystery like I guess it's not a murder but like he did go missing it's so not a murder remember when like the selfie sticks came out yeah. and there were like so many um things about people falling off of like really tall buildings because they were taking pictures yes. like with their selfie sticks and they like would take too many steps back and like mm-hmm. die I feel like it's a similar situation where like phones just like are killing people left and right
1: when I was in France, I went to Giverny to like see the gardens and uh-huh. do that whole Beautiful. thing. Beautiful. Beautiful. But I saw someone drop their phone into the pond That's and she gross. was like leaning over the bridge, like no. about to fall into the water trying to get her phone back and which is just stupid because it's dead. Like once yeah. it hits the water, it's over. It's done.
0: It's done. There is nothing
1: to do. There's no coming back.
0: <laughs> I saw this
1: headline and I couldn't believe it. This
0: sculpture is just like it sounds like not right but anyways we can move on i don't want to talk about it anymore
1: <laughs> on us over it. that poor man so sad it's really sad <laughs> headline number two comes to us from art news where it was revealed that quote street artist sues vatican over use of work and stamps according to a report by the associated press the artist Alyssa barbrow is seeking 130,000 euros, which is about like $160,000 in damages from Vatican City State Telecommunications Office, alleging that it profited from her work and violated its original intent. So the artist's
0: work was used in 2020 for a postage stamp for Easter issued by the country.
1: The work in question features Jesus Christ with his arms raised and a heart on his chest that bears the words, just use it. So oh, like- it's like Jesuit, like. Just use it. Oh,
0: I thought it was a play on Nike's Just Do It.
1: Maybe you're right.
0: (laughs) That was stupid. (laughs) Um, But it is part of a series of similar images that Barbara has been creating since 2013, and the artist said that she used, or she glued... Um, this particular work to a bridge near the Vatican in 2019. So maybe someone who like works at the Vatican was walking by and saw it and decided it was cool and appropriated it. And honestly, it's very much like a Banksy um, lawsuit in a way.
1: And she claims that by using her work to essentially promote the Catholic Church, they have distorted the initial purpose and vision for the work, which she described as an effort to, quote, promote the intelligence and the brain of the heart. Not really sure what that means. Yeah, I'm confused as well.
0: But the Vatican printed 80,000 stamps with the image and offer them for sale at its post
1: office for one euro and 15
0: cents each.
1: And like Anna just hinted at, the possibility of the lawsuit succeeding is complicated by the recent decision in the Banksy case, which we talked about in a previous episode. Yeah. And I also think um, we might have an update
0: next week because the Banksy case is um, making headlines this week. I think he lost the lawsuit, which is really sad. But uh, not a lot of information has come out yet, so we can't report on it yet, but maybe next week. Maybe next week. Yes. And the European Union Intellectual Property Office ruled against the artist's efforts to trademark his famed image of a monkey also wearing a sandwich board that reads, laugh now, but one day will be in charge. So that's another, um, like, case of Banksy losing. So I don't really see this woman um making any money out of this.
1: Right. And the real issue is that her work was put on public display and the p- previous rulings yeah. have argued that if it's on public display, it's allowed to be photographed by the general public and it can be disseminated widely, which is what the Vatican is doing by putting it on their stamp.
0: I don't agree with this. I think this is really messed up. I don't understand how they came up to this conclusion. Mm-hmm. 'Cause she did make this image and she came up with it, so why like you can photograph a Monet in a museum and then claim that you can use it for
1: everything, but like Monet's state won't let you do that. So right. why is this any different? I agree. And what I also find weird about this is why is the Vatican going around and like snapping pictures and then no, putting it I'm on saying. stamps for their like gift shop they, like do they, they not have, have like so a team many
0: beautiful things that they can take pictures of inside of that the vatican exactly that they're like the ceilings <laughs> they like. can literally take pictures of the ceiling that no one else can take pictures of so like right I- i'm referring to assisting chapel for those of you who don't know you could not take pictures in there um so like why wouldn't they just use that you can take photos you just will get yelled at yeah, but I took some and I didn't get yelled at. So <laughs> on brand, um, winning. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you, sh- you are usually not allowed to do that. But yeah, I I don't agree with this at all. I think this is messed up. She deserves compensation for her work.
1: Right, and then she's also just receiving no credit for her work. Yeah, there was like nowhere in the stand did it say it was right like her. So awful, bad, bad. <laughs> Our third headline falls under one of our favorite topics, art crime. As reported by Artnet News, quote, thieves broke into an English castle and swiped $1.4 million in royal artifacts, including Mary, Queen of Scots, rosary. So this past Friday at England's Arundel Castle, thieves made off with more than 1 million pounds worth of royal artifacts. When police arrived on the scene just a few minutes after the crime, they found the display case disturbed and objects stolen. Um, this is crazy because now
0: they can't even blame it on the same people who, um, from the Dresden heist since they were because all arrested. They got captured. But it sounds exactly like their MO. And it's extra sad because the castle had only reopened on May eighteen after an extended closure due to COVID.
1: The only positive is that now it's great publicity that they have reopened. I guess, yeah,
0: but now they're
1: one point million
0: dollars short of <laughs> worth of artifacts so true
1: but among the gold and silver items taken were the gold rosary beans that mary queen of scots held at her execution on february 8th 1587 other stolen items include several coronation cups given to the royal family and other ceremonial objects
0: i guess the story is also kind of morbid but the beads are hollow golden spheres with designs on the outside in black enamel and a drop pearl hang from each arm and foot of the cross with also a gold figure of the crucifixion in the center.
1: And according to historians, Mary carried the rosary beads with her to the scaffold, after which they were bequeathed to the Countess of Arundel and eventually transferred through descendants to the Duke of Norfolk, where they were kept until now.
0: I feel like there has been so much art crime, which is what we're talking about, and I think... A lot of people maybe just had a lot of time in their hands during the pandemic to plan these heists.
1: Well, I also think people sit at home and they like think about what's there and you yeah. see everything closing. So and you see watching documentaries. And like security <laughs> costs have been cut in a lot of places, yes. unfortunately. I do wonder why they, so the heist
0: happened while the museum was closed. Like it's open, but like it was not during museum hours. I s- think so. Yes. So why do they wait until it reopened? That's an excellent point. <laughs> I don't know. just something to put out there. Like, was it an internal, like, thing? Maybe it was internal. Right. Okay.
1: Anyways. Oh, look at you. Speculating. <laughs> Shouldn't we be art detectives? Maybe. But this also reminds me of a headline I read this week in the arts newspaper, which was about Van Gogh's vase with flowers, which has actually been stolen twice from Cairo's Kalliel Museum. I'll link the article in the episode description. Yes. In 2010,
0: the museum closed after a thief used a knife to cut the canvas from its frame during opening hours and only recently reopened last month following
1: an 11-year renovation. So the first time the work was stolen was in 1978. It was then recovered under mysterious circumstances two years later after apparently surfacing in Kuwait and has been at the museum since then. Yes,
0: and Cahil's home and collection were donated to the Egyptian state to become a museum after his death. And his interest in Impressionist art was strong as his
1: wife was French. And they spent lots of time in Paris. It's actually a really interesting museum because they have an incredible collection of Impressionist artworks, which is not really of interest to a lot of tourists who are visiting Egypt. Because when you go to Egypt, you want to see the pharaohs i and agree you especially
0: s- if you're going from like the u.s like right. where there are so many amazing impressionist collections like i personally like you're going for a limited amount of time mm-hmm. so like i don't know if i would choose to go there but it is such an interesting story right maybe if i went to egypt more than once but even
1: like i feel like it's so much easier to get there from europe like are yes. you gonna go from paris and then go see impressionist works yeah. in egypt like probably not no But also what the article pointed out, it was actually done as like a blog post, which is something that the art newspaper – does a lot. And the writer comments from personal experience that when he went to visit the museum, he witnessed a lack of security and even mentioned that a group of guards were like huddling together, smoking, like not paying attention at all. And like how easy it could have been for him to take something.
0: So like not to throw anyone under the bus, but I once worked at a museum, interned at a museum where a bunch of the paintings had been, or not a bunch, but two of the paintings had been stolen multiple times. Mm -hmm. And, like, there also was a lack of security at that museum. It's just, like, fascinating to watch because it's, like, they get stolen and they get, like, restored and then they get stolen again. And it's, like, Mm -hmm. how does it keep happening? Right. You would think after the first time they'd be so careful.
1: And, like, you think with so much going on in the news, like, you would really, like... Also, you
0: can't really do anything with this. Like, especially now, like, there is so much provenance research that even if they, like, if they stole it, like, they, I guess, could make a lot of money by selling it to a private, like client but then that private client is never going to be able to do anything with it right. like and you can't really have it on display at, like a really cool part of your house because no. someone
1: might come visit and like be like that's stolen well that's what happened not stolen but it's what happened to the carrie not carrie james marshall that jacob lawrence oh yes exactly where people just walked into walked the apartment in and, were and were like, like oh exactly very interesting so i think we're ready to move on yeah The fourth headline of the day comes to us from the New York Times, where it was reported that, quote, Charlie bit my finger is leaving YouTube after seven hundred and sixty thousand and nine hundred and ninety nine dollar NFT sale. The original video of a baby biting his brother's finger has drawn nearly nine hundred million views on the platform since two thousand and seven. But now, one bidder owns it as an NFT. The
0: original video features Charlie Davis Carr, and infant in England biting the finger of his big brother, Harry Davis Carr, and then laughing after Harry yells, ow.
1: I feel like everyone has yes, seen the video. But we had to describe it. Just in case. <laughs> the owner will also be able to create a parody of the video featuring Charlie and Harry.
0: So, like, as grown ups, or like more grown up than they were before. <laughs> How
1: old are they? They can't be that old. I mean, if he was a baby in 2007? I
0: mean, no, like, they could be 18.
1: Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, if they were five or one of them was five in 2007, like, for sure 18. Do you not know? No, that's that just. Now? No. Are <laughs> <laughs> you just giving me a look. <laughs> that's just wild. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah, so many um, duplicates of the video remain online and they include one that apparently was rebranded by the family uh, in anticipation of the auction. So, like, that kind of defeats the purpose of Mm -hmm. the video, the, like, original one, because, like, if the family is creating a copy and, like, just putting it out there, then, like, isn't that just the same?
1: Right. I agree. And NFT. Oh, my God nft buyers are not usually acquiring copyrights trademarks or the sole ownership of whatever they purchase they've mostly bought with the idea that their copy is an authentic copy
0: yeah but so then going back to my point then like yes this is the authentic one you could say but like if the family is just downloading the original into their laptop and then uploading it again like is it really a is it is there really only one that's authentic? If it's the original,
1: just downloaded. I don't know. That I don't think sound so right to me. But then also, I feel like the video doesn't just live on YouTube. It's been taken to so many other platforms that, like, how do you stop it? Yeah, I
0: don't know. Um, but there were eleven active bidders in the battle for the NFT, and it was driven mainly between two bidders named Three F Music and Meme Master.
1: Love that. mm Hmm. When the bidding ended Sunday, Meme Master was outbid by 3F Music by $45,444. A person with the same name also bought the Disaster Girl meme NFT, a meme from a photo of Zoe Roth in 2005 looking at a house on fire in her neighborhood, which sold last month at auction for $500,000. So someone is collecting these memes. But it's so sad, like, like I think,
0: not to get into it again, but, like, how can this be compared to, like, anything else that's in the market? Like, even a cause, which is, like, commercial art, I is art, you right? Know?
1: As opposed to a meme. Well, it's like, what do you do with the meme? Yeah.
0: Anyways, the impact of the Charlie with my finger video continued to be felt several years after it was first posted as it was written into Gerber's spot and a 30 Rock episode. Um... And then it also was just like the subject of countless parody videos. So this
1: is just even more what we said, where it's been, this video has been extended and sent out to so many different mediums. Yeah. Like, how do you control that? It's, yeah, it's crazy. But
0: also like, we are going to be able to keep on watching the video. So I don't understand how someone spent almost $1 million on this like video. Like how do you justify like, that? Yeah. Yeah. It- I just, I think maybe I don't understand NFTs as well as I think I do because I, it just, like, doesn't make sense that someone would spend this much money on something that everyone else can own. Like, yeah, okay, you can own the authentic copy, but, like, I can also say mine's authentic, you Are know? they
1: getting copyrights in this case, though? No. Because normally they don't.
0: No, because the family still has copyrights, and that's why they were allowed to upload it and also something that was super interesting about the article the dad was interviewed um and he talked about he talked about how through the YouTube video they were able to make enough money to send all of their kids to private school like through ad money yes yes like like for example like the Gerber commercial or whatever right so like it's insane and then also they have two more kids aside from that and then the mom was able to stop working full-time because of how much money they were making from this video it's crazy So I wonder, like, I I don't think they would give up, like, those profits just to sell it as an NFT. I feel like they're just, like, selling the authentic copy, but they're still owning, like, everything else. But they still have it. So who cares if someone's claiming that they have the authentic copy?
1: I know. So weird. Very. Our fifth and final headline comes to us from the Wall Street Journal, where it was reported that, quote, BTS's outfits, Janet Jackson's costumes, why the celebrity auction market is booming. So Julian's is an auction house located in Beverly Hills, and it's had a mega successful year selling pre-worn celebrity clothing, thanks in large part to nostalgia-obsessed millennials. I think this is my favorite
0: headline for the day, just like putting that out there. Not the man
1: trapped in a paper mache dinosaur.
0: That one's just like, I have so many questions. In 2015, Julian's auctions in Beverly Hills, sold a fuzzy green moherb bland sweater that Kurt Cobain wore on Nirvana's MTV Unplugged episode, and it was sold for $140,000. And then four years later, the the stained cardigan was back on the auction block, and that time it sold for over $300,000.
1: And today, Darren Julian, who's the owner of Julian's, which has been around for 18 years, believes that the same sweater could fetch double that amount if sold. Yeah, so
0: like basically the market is just like really booming. Um, Other auction houses including Heritage and Sotheby's dabble in pop culture items, but Julian's is the rare firm which trades almost entirely in nostalgic celebrity-owned relics. And it specializes in things people don't need, but rather things they want, including tour used guitars, furniture from Star's Homes, and lots and lots of famous clothes.
1: When I was interning at an auction house, I interned in the photo, like photographs department, and people would call in just blindly with a photo of a celebrity that they would want to sell, and I was like told to send them to Julian's because Sotheby's wasn't selling that type that type of, of thing. Image. Yeah, it's actually super interesting because now I feel like Sotheby's
0: and Christie's are moving in that direction. Like Sotheby's created the entire like new like science department, but I'm sure they'll sell other things. Like right. um the big notorious, like plastic mm-hmm. crown and just like things like that that like I don't think would have sold at Sotheby's previously, but I think it like says something about the market that yeah. Sotheby's is like opening up and Christie's.
1: I agree. Yeah. And it's not as widely opened up as like something that Julian's would sell. But no they Julian's are is like a free into that. Exactly. It actually is a free for all. Yeah. They sell everything. It's crazy. Yes. But To give a little bit of background, the business was founded four years after someone paid $1.26 million in a landmark 1999 Christie sale to acquire the dress that Marilyn Monroe wore to sing Happy Birthday to John F. Kennedy. And in 2006, Julian sold that same beaded gown for 4.8 million so that's just another indication of like where the market is heading yeah it's crazy and for Julian's
0: the business of auctioning off pop culturally significant clothes steady through the mid 2010s has erupted in the past few years things to depocketed 20 to 40 something so just millennials and he said rich millennials don't want picasso and monet they want pop culture that's what connects them or what is most appealing to them
1: and when Julian's puts on an auction with a celebrity, as it has done in the past with Janet Jackson and other stars like Ringo Starr and Nancy Sinatra, each item comes from the celebrity's private possession as opposed to a collector, so it's guaranteed authentic. Yes,
0: and aside from helping stars like clear out their closets um, of like costumes and old instruments. Uh, many celebrities use the auctions to raise funds for a chosen charity. And he said past celebrities have donated anywhere from 10 to 100% of the auction's proceeds to charity.
1: And what's so interesting, though, is the article makes the point to say that buyers are not always driven by this charitable aspect. They are taking money out of their portfolios to invest in pop culture and are treating it as a true investment.
0: Yeah. So like it, it like brought up the fact that like a lot of like hedge fund managers and just like people who like work in tech. So like cryptocurrency bros uh, that buy NFTs where um, just like buying these things in order to like resell them in a few years. But I think it's very interesting that I I guess like kind of is our generation. I don't really want to be like tied down to a 40 year old, if that makes sense. Like I don't want to be related to that. Anna doesn't want to be
1: grouped.
0: (laughs) Yeah, please don't group me in with the 40 year olds. But like I do know like a couple of young people who would be like interested or not young people are age (laughs) who would be interested in buying these things. Which is very interesting. I personally, I think it's so cool that like these things exist. But I think like they belong in museums. Like why would you want to have it in your house? Like this is just like one more example of like why would you want to own something like this? Like you can't wear it.
1: The Paley Museum, which is, like, the TV museum, mm-hmm. their most popular exhibitions and the ones that do the best are the costume exhibits. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Well, we talked
0: about the Victoria um, Museum in and in, in the UK, like, when we first started the podcast mm-hmm. and how it bought one of Harry Styles' costumes and how, like, ev- or sweaters, and now everyone wants to go see the sweater. Right. So it's, like, very, like, interesting. And, like, I think it makes sense. Like, we do love pop culture. Like, we listen to pop culture podcasts. Yeah. Like, we talked about it a lot. Sorry, there was hair in my mouth, but it's not from the cat um, since it's hairless.
1: Ha-ha. <laughs> the um, best part of the cat is that it
0: doesn't shed. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's very interesting to see. Let prices for these things are like soaring and that people are actually interested in buying.
1: Yeah and to meet this soaring demand there is a full slate of auctions ahead including one this June dedicated to musical icons. The catalog has already dropped so if anyone is interested feel free to go and check that out.
0: Yeah and so some of the things that will be in that auction are like Mick's, Mick Jagger's tan double-breasted suit and some glasses worn on stage by Elton John.
1: The only thing that, like, I really don't get about it is, like, let's say you buy Mick Jagger's suit. What do you do with it? Well,
0: I think, like, also it's, like, a clout thing. So, like, Kim Kardashian actually bought something from Julian's that belonged to Janet Jackson. No, no, no. It was a suit by Janet Jackson that she wore on stage as well. Um, And she, like... So, Mr. Julian does not reveal who buys these things, but oftentimes like, really famous people buy really famous people things. Mm -hmm. So, like, they will reveal it themselves. Like, Kim Kardashian being like, oh, yeah, I bought Jenna Jackson's thing. Um, And, like, she didn't wear it. She can't wear it. Like, some of these things are falling apart. Like, why would you want to wear Elton John's glasses that you pay, like, half a million dollars for, you know?
1: I also think Kim Kardashian buys a lot of it because I have some vague memory of her buying something of Jackie O's. It might have been from I mean, she might have, honestly. Crazy.
0: Yeah. But I think these are the news for the week.
1: Yeah, but before we go, we actually have two emerging news headlines this week. The first one comes to us from Art News, where it was reported that, quote, Mexico City home of Surrealist Leonora Carrington to be converted into museum. So the Mexico home of famed Surrealist painter Leonora Carrington is set to become a museum through the museum's. Though the museum's opening date has yet to be decided, it will display 45 sculptures by the artist, as well as hundreds of her personal objects.
0: So 10 years after the artist's death in 2011, the painter painter son Pablo Weiss Carrington sold the house to Mexico City's Universidad Autónoma de México for half a million dollars on the condition that it would be converted into a museum.
1: Born in Lancashire, England in 1917 into a wealthy family that owned a mill, The talented Carrington moved to Paris in 1938. There, in the company of the Surrealists, she developed a singular visual vocabulary that comprised fantastic human-animal hybrids cavorting in mysterious dreamscapes.
0: And her intense affair with artist Max Ernst ended in 1939 amid the outbreak of World War II. And then she fled to Mexico after marrying the Mexican poet Renato Leduc out of convenience. And then she lived in Mexico City until her death when she was 94 years old.
1: I think this is really exciting. I love when, like, a home is converted into a museum. Yes, and
0: the article pointed out that some of the son's stipulations were that, like, the kitchen cannot be changed because, like, she spent a lot of time in the kitchen. So, like,
1: oh, I that's going to that.
0: have to look the exact same. And then, like, a couple other rooms I can't remember off the top of my head. But I think this might be the next Frida Kahlo Museum because Frida Kahlo Museums is also in her house. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be super exciting to just have something similar and, like, maybe, well, like divide tourism and like Mm -hmm. one place will not be super crowded anymore
1: it also reminds me of the judd foundation here in new york how you the kitchen part especially how you can go Mm -hmm. and still see his kitchen it's so
0: cool i love house museums me too
1: the second emerging news for the day which is also kind of an update comes to us from the telegraph where it was reported that quote First sale, painting Winston Churchill gave to the man who supplied his trademark cigars. A Winston Churchill painting that the politician gave as a gift to a beer baron who regularly supplied him with hundreds and hundreds of Cuban cigars is being offered by Christie's for a price of around two million pounds, which is about two point eight million dollars. Um,
0: So the cigar shipments were apparently free of charge, which is a pretty sweet deal. And some of you might remember, we previously actually discussed this on the podcast last year. Angelina Jolie also sold
1: a Churchill painting that was in her collection. So that's cool. And since the news just broke, we don't have that much information about the sale yet, but we'll definitely be following up on the story. And in general, it's just so exciting to see another Churchill painting coming up for auction. yeah, I
0: felt like or like when I first read this headline, I felt like I hadn't really um heard of any churchill paintings in like such a long time Mm -hmm. then it's like angelina jolie and now this and like it's so exciting that it was like given to someone who was like basically conducting legal activities for him
1: and both paintings had such an incredible story behind them they're so meaningful i agree But yes, this is the
0: episode for the week. We have to go now because we have no AC at the moment because we can't record with the AC on and we're melting off. So we hope you have a great weekend. We're super excited. We're going to the Upper East Side once again and it might rain. So I think we just like need to stop going to the Upper East Side because it rains every time. Yeah, that's it from us. Thank you. Bye.